Hey, true crime friends, I'm Danny. And I'm Brenna. And, and this, this is Lago Stories. Today's episode contains graphic information that some listeners may find disturbing. Listener's discretion is advised. Welcome back, Brenna. Today is episode 13, and today's a case that I have been waiting a long time to tell you, so I'm super excited. And I'm also excited to announce that our merch store is finally open. Whoop, whoop. Yay. So go check us out. You can find the website on our website at logostories.net or on our Instagram or Facebook. So let us know what you think and buy all the things. Buy it all. (laughs) So let's get back to today's case. Today's case was also the first case that I had used videos in my research for this episode, which was quite fun, I must say. And I know you use them quite often, but I now see why. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I go back to, like, high school days, you know, when they turn on a movie and they're like, you have to turn in two pages of notes. So I literally will just, like, watch an episode or whatever the video is on, and I will write down the notes and then compile all the research from there. Yeah, the first time Brenna did a video in her episode, she came back with, like, 15 pages. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't understand till this like every second Nicole was like can you stop pausing the yeah. tv and I was like no girl I can't write as fast as he's talking yeah an hour and a half long you know documentary or episode then turns into like three hours well and you never realize like all the little things that they say yes. you pick up on you're like I would have never not Or, like, if you watch it once, you're like, oh, I'll remember to put that in. And then you're like, oh, I need a date, or I need this, Mm -hmm. or who said that? Yeah. Yeah. But today's case really embodies the meaning of extremists and, like, by definition. But it also makes you wonder if people are born evil or if it's something that only comes out when it is tapped into. So keep that in mind while I tell you the story because I'll come back and ask you your thoughts when it's all said and done. All right. I know very little about this episode, but the little parts that I do know, I'm very excited to hear it. All right. Well, let's get to know a little bit about Robert Razier. He was born on July 28, 1955, in Alaska. He found a love for football at a young age and would go on to play defensive end at the University of California at Berkeley after attending Aberdeen Junior College for a stint. Now, Robert was a troubled child, and that trouble would follow him to college. Although football was a team sport, he would be described as not a team player and quoted in an episode of most infamous as, quote, not someone you would want your daughter to bring home, end quote, by one of his coaches. During his time at UC Berkeley, he dabbled in drugs and reckless behavior, ultimately getting kicked out of college and losing his scholarship because of his grades. Now, this would not be the end of Robert's football career. As he was truly gifted, he would ultimately go on to be drafted to the St. Louis Cardinals during the ninth round of the 1997 NFL Draft as the 228th overall pick. Of course, my story does not end here, or we would not be talking about it today. Robert's reckless behavior continued, and after six games, he would be released from his contract. Although he would play for some time in Canada, his football career would finally come to an end in the early 1980s. Wow, that quote from one of the teachers, what was it, a coach? A coach, That yeah. said you would not want to bring <laughs> this home to your daughter. Uh, 
yeah, a little suspicious there. But my question is, why did they still choose to draft him? I mean, he got kicked out of school for drugs and grades. I mean, I know the NFL is maybe a little money hungry and they just want the best football player, but that still seems like a controversial decision. Yeah, I definitely think the NFL kind of stands behind very controversial decisions quite often, as you've seen. They don't have an awesome track record for making decisions like these. This point in his life really stuck with me because I feel like they really rewarded bad behavior and it kind of pushed... This bad behavior just continues to escalate throughout his life. So it makes me wonder, like, would his life be completely different? Probably not. But could that have kind of negated some of this? It really makes me wonder. So I definitely wonder why they still chose to draft him after being kicked out of school with notorious bad behavior of drugs and just not being a team player. Like, any of those words sound like, that's probably not going to work out. And, I mean, goes to show six games later, he lost his contract. So, I mean, they ultimately kind of had their own backlash with that, right? Because Mm -hmm. it didn't work out and they invested this time, money, and effort into him to not even see a full season but yeah it it was very frustrating to kind of (laughs) read that and be like okay there's clearly some a trend here yes and if you're not seeing that it's not like you don't have like so many more people want to go to the nfl than they have yeah position so it's not like you were struggling to find people you know what i mean absolutely after his football career robert moved to florida and would find himself arrested for grand theft auto where he would actually spend some jail time this time. When he was released, he felt lost and pushed to find a new group and a new path in life. This is where he would seek religion as his new quote-unquote team, and he would become a new disciple of the nation of Yahweh. This is where things would drastically turn for Robert Rozier. Now to paint the picture of Robert Rozier's crimes, I will transition to telling you the story from the investigator's point of view to truly capture what was going on and how this all came to link together. Because I don't think you will truly get how strange and bizarre this behavior was if you don't see how they eventually got to tying this all together. Because from his point of view, it would just kind of be straightforward. But they really had to kind of negate different situations to one find all the people connected Mm. and then two to really ultimately figure out how this all went down gotcha on september 5th 1986 a regular at a miami bar was found stabbed to death in his car with both of his ears severed from his head this man would later be identified as raymond kelly a white male in his mid-60s now that evening kelly decided that he had had a few too many to drive home so he would sleep in his car until it was safe for him to drive home Unfortunately, that time would never come for him. They found one of Kelly's ears outside of his car, and the other was never to be found. Now, they assumed the killer had taken it as some sort of trophy or religious purpose. The ear that was left outside the car was taken back for fingerprinting. No match was found. The murderer also stole a gun that was from Kelly's car that he kept in his glove box for safety. They later found this information out by his wife, who stated that to the police. As they continued to dive into Kelly's case, they decided to cross-reference with other cases in the area that dealt with this case's unique character, and that was the missing ear. And with that, another case came into play, Cecil Branch. Although Cecil was black and younger than Kelly, he was killed within 15 days of Kelly and in a similar manner, stabbed to death and was missing one ear. 
The police identified that they were dealing with the same murderer or group for both of these cases. A smeared fingerprint was found on the doorknob of the murder scene and was taken back for analysis. Again, no match was found. Okay, this ear thing, very weird. But also, I know you said he had joined like a church group and he became a prophet. So did he start that church or he just like worked his way into that group and said, oh, I'm a prophet actually? So the nation of Yahweh, it's a whole nother thing. (laughs) Once I get through this, I'll kind of explain how this group started and where it escalated to a point that it took itself. Okay. Um, so you could fully understand why these are happening and where Robert plays his purpose within the nation of Yahweh. Gotcha. Now the question on investigators' mind was why are the ears severed? Many theories came up, such as a Vietnam War tactic where people would collect ears of those they killed to wear them on a necklace, to religious sacrament, but they would soon find out the real reason behind it all. Later that same year, in 1986, the Yahwehs bought several apartment complexes for their members. And I'll go back and forth between members and disciples, because just different articles and readings, it would classify them as members in one or disciples in other. So members, disciples, same group of people. Gotcha. The nation of Yahweh, in exchange for their labor and fellowship, they would feed and house all of their members. Each disciple would have an income goal that they would have to hit by selling t-shirts, wines, hair products, and other goods around the neighborhood. And these products would not only be sold by the nation of Yahweh, but also they would take their disciples' labor into those as well. So they'd like make the hair products, make the wine, make the t-shirts, and then go out to the surrounding neighborhoods and sell them. Hmm, okay. Now, one of these hostile takeovers took place in Opalaka, Florida. This is about a 30-minute drive from Miami if you are looking at a map for my friends listening that are directionally challenged just like me. The press was everywhere during this event. They had residents speaking out against the takeover and even threatening to fight the Yahwehs from taking their home. Yahwehs did not take this one. Later that evening, police arrested two men for the shooting of Anthony Brown and Rudolph, also known as Rudy, Broussard's murder. The pair were found murdered, execution style, and later found out Anthony Brown was one of the tenants speaking out against the Yahwehs during the apartment complex takeover. One of the men arrested was found with the gun that went missing from the first victim's glove box. As you remember, Raymond Kelly, he had a gun in his glove box, and when his wife asked about it, it was missing after he was murdered. So it was found on one of the armed suspects, in this now new murder investigation. This man would identify himself as Neriah Israel, which in Hebrew means child of God. After he was placed in custody, Neriah Israel would be fingerprinted. His prints would tie him to all four murders and lead the police to his real name, Robert Razier. During the interview, Razier would open up about his religious background, but would be silent when it came to talking about the murders. One thing that stuck with police was that he would continuously bring up that he was over 400 years old and did not remember who or what he was before he was saved. Well, that's convenient. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, but he's not saying that he doesn't remember the murders or he's just kind of like not saying it at all. So, 
every time they'll say Robert Rozier, he'll just say, Oh, he won't acknowledge. I'm a prophet of such and such. I'm 400 years old. I don't remember who or what I was before. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. he's just not acknowledging or tying together Robert Rozier with his now new quote-unquote identity as Nariah Israel. So I can kind of see, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I can kind of see... Uh, um, not mo- maybe a ploy, but maybe an insane plead later on. Oh, that that's a, a good guess, <laughs> but definitely could see that with yeah. how this is starting, for sure. Police knew that Razira would be a single pawn in a much bigger scheme, so they changed their approach and decided to take a dive into the religious background of the nation of Yahweh and its leader, Yahweh ben Yahweh. Yahweh ben Yahweh, which means God the Son of God, began his gospel in the poorest neighborhoods in Miami, preaching the word of community support and that his mission was to rally behind the people and build them up together. A former member spoke out during the episode of Most Infamous on this case, stating that at first Yahweh ben Yahweh's preaching was evangelical and he would really move people. He tied the community in by speaking on fighting the forced exploitation of black people and their communities and eliminating the daily humiliations of black individuals, which he said was easy to get behind and grab people to join in with. Yahweh ben Yahweh gained a huge popularity in the community and even the interest of politicians. He had a street named after him and even a grocery store. He started to have some real power within the community. It was not until Yahweh ben Yahweh started to refer himself as Messiah where things started to drift off for the group. Yahweh ben Yahweh started to bring fear into the temple and turn things very violent. He began teaching that white people were the enemy and referred to them as the devil incarnate and must be eliminated. Yahweh ben Yahweh believed that the black community and black people were the true Jewish disciples sent from heaven to live on earth and it was their job to eliminate their white oppressors. Rozier brought into this teaching as he felt his entire life was plagued with injustice and racial divide. This is how Robert turned into a follower of Yahweh ben Yahweh, as many others did. Wow. Okay, so a lot to unpack there, but I guess the main thing that caught my eye is like a lot of cults that, you know, I've read about or I heard about, it all kind of started as a really nice thing and you know like they wanted to do good with the community and they wanted to bring each other up and help each other and I'm not sure why there's just like this complete shift but it appears like it happened here and from an outsider's perspective it's easy to be like okay one time you were saying all these good stuffs and now it's like whoa 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 but I'm sure it was a slow process and that's why many people just slowly started to stick with him. Yeah, I mean, even the previous member or disciple that was interviewed, he was stating that he was one of those people right there with them, fist up in the air, praising him, doing all these things, and it wasn't until it turned very violent and very negative that he would sit here and say that he was a follower not because he was believing what he was saying but because he was truly terrified 
he said that one of the times he said something that he just could not get on the sailboat for. <laughs> he was just <laughs> not about it. But he said Yahweh Ben Yahweh looked him straight in the eyes and he said that he's never been that terrified in his entire life to this day. Wow. Yeah. It, it is pretty crazy how you can go from being so genuine and open and like like you said, being that real community supporter to turning it something like that and just having characteristics to persuade people that way is kind of scary. Yeah, really, really scary. And especially if you have like a large following. I don't know if you were able to find, but like how how many people followed him? So he had quite a big following in Miami. And like I stated earlier, he kind of covered a lot of the black communities in Miami. Um, and he'd go to like poor surrounding neighborhoods. I mean, he had enough following to have politicians involved, yeah, street, street names, name. <laughs> and grocery stores. So I mean, it wasn't a, a small pond. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, back to the investigation. Rozier refused to speak out about any crimes that they tied him or any wrongdoing of the nation of Yahweh. Well, not until the nation of Yahweh turned on him. (gasps) Yahweh ben Yahweh decided to combat the bad press by publicly excommunicating Robert Rozier. He basically explained away that he was a bad apple and he was poison among the people and banished him from their community. This was all done with media present as well. It was for all to see and they really didn't hold back. He was, I watched a portion of this interview and he was just getting after it and getting after him. So the police took wind of this and decided to show Robert Rozier what his fearless leader really thought of him because this whole time Robert Rozier has also been staying in prison that the nation of Yahweh and their leader would save him from the death penalty and ultimately prison. Rozier watched as his leader crossed his name out of the official registry which was called the Lamb's Book of Life and officially excommunicate him from the nation of Yahweh. After nine months of silence now betrayed and angry Razir began to tell all he knew about Yahweh ben Yahweh and the group that he was a part of. He explained how the doctrine was full of extreme racial hatred. Razir opened up about the murders, the ears, and why he did what he did. The first Raymond Kelly was how he got into the nation of Yahweh's inner circle, the Brotherhood. Yahweh ben Yahweh had a group of his most trusted men that Razir desperately wanted to be a part of. These men would do all of Yahweh ben Yahweh's bidding. Before you would be allowed to enter this group, each disciple was asked to do one thing, claim a white devil's soul and bring back an ear as proof. This is where he would go into the gory details of how he and one other brother would take Kelly's life and gain acceptance into the brotherhood. During that time, Rozier explained that they ended up cutting off both of Kelly's ears after dropping the first one and were unable to find it in the dark, so they had to go back to the crime scene to cut the other ear off as proof. Yahweh ben Yahweh would then burn the ears after his approval and atoning them of what they had done. Wow, okay, so some kind of initiation to a religious group? Yeah, so you had the nation of Yahweh, right? And then within that was this inner circle called the Brotherhood. And this was all of his 
chosen people. Yeah. So all of these people were definitely doing all of the violent acts and carrying out whatever he wanted to do. But this was a very coveted position for all of the men in the group because it was the people that hung around Yahweh Ben Yahweh all the time. I see. Okay, so just as a way to get into that inner circle, they would commit these crimes. Yeah, because as you would see is if Yahweh Ben Yahweh didn't have something on you or something to hold against you, he would never bring you closer into that circle. So by quote-unquote killing these white devils or taking their white devil souls and bringing back ears as proof, then... If anything, we're to get he out of line. Could. Wow, master manipulation. Mm-hmm. The next victim, Cecil Brandt, who was also known to close friends as the big man, due to his size and military training, made the nation of Yahweh's list when he was visiting his mother and disciples of the temple were harassing her to buy products to help them raise money for the church. After telling them to leave her alone, they persisted and escalated the situation, forcing him to run them off. Yahweh ben Yahweh then ordered the Brotherhood to find and kill Branch for disrespecting the temple. They would knock on his door, stab Branch as soon as he opened the door, and they would continually stab and beat him to death, while leaving with one of his ears as proof for their leader. Well, that escalated very quickly with him, and even though he wasn't a so-called quote-unquote white devil, he thought that protecting somebody was more than enough to get him killed. Yeah, so now we are seeing the other side of how the nation of Yahweh react to other individuals that are within the same circle as them. So regardless of your race, if you disrespect or speak out publicly against the nation of Yahweh, you are also considered someone to eliminate. Wow. So... Not only were white males a target, they were. it was also anybody else in that category that openly spoke ugly about Yahweh ben Yahweh or the nation of Yahweh in general. Mm. So that's how he made the list because the other disciples, like I mentioned earlier, that they had to, they all had fundraising goals to make. He asked them to leave her alone. They didn't. They persisted. So he eventually ran them off. And because of that, that's essentially disrespecting the temple. So he had to be eliminated. Wow. Now this leads us to Anthony Brown and Rudy Brassard's murder. Rosier explains that these two hits were made at the hand of Yahweh ben Yahweh after openly speaking out to the media against the nation of Yahweh and the resistance against the takeover. Yahweh ben Yahweh was a firm believer in punishing all who spoke out and making an example of them. So the last three murders that I just spoke about were all against or speaking out, so he had to make an example of them. Yeah, and I'm curious, I may just be jumping ahead here, but I'm curious, this was only from Robert's, Robert's crimes, right? Correct. So I'm curious how many more murders occurred outside of Robert's or even before Robert joined. Yeah, we'll get there, girl. (laughs) (laughs) That's literally all that's on my mind. Like, oh my god, how many people's lives did they ruin? Yeah. Well, while Rosier was speaking out in prison against Yahweh ben Yahweh, more and more details started to come to light from others as well. And one of those people was even Yahweh ben Yahweh's sister who openly spoke out against him in detailing an incident that happened within the temple against one of their own who went against Yahweh ben Yahweh. She recalled every detail of this horrific beating against another disciple. Yahweh ben Yahweh made every person in the temple, men, women, and children, 
participate in the murder of one of their own. He wanted to make an example out of him in hopes that no other disciple would dare to do it again. Rozier would receive a deal after his full cooperation to avoid the death penalty. He would be charged with four counts of second-degree murder and sentenced to 22 years in prison. He would also be placed under federal custody for his safety, as he explained that the nation of Yahweh would be able to get to him within the prison system if they did not protect him. So I'm kind of conflicted on 22 years in prison. On one hand, I'm like, that's what four murders he committed, Mm -hmm. but that's also at the hand or direction of someone else. So I can understand that, but geez, I don't know. I'm yeah, conflicted keep that, on that. <laughs> no, keep that thought. Keep that confliction. Because <laughs> when we get through this, we'll come back to it. Okay. See if you still feel conflicted on okay, it. Okay, okay, okay. Now, on November 7th, 1990, four years after the initial murders, the FBI arrested Yahweh Ben Yahweh and 12 other members around the country. The 12 members would be charged with crimes ranging from murder and conspiracy to arson and extortion. Police were able to gather that Yahweh Ben Yahweh directed at least 14 murders and two attempted murders. Wow. So there's her answer. Yeah. And that's only what the police detected. I'm sure with their how aggressive this was. Yeah. Yeah. After two years and two trials later, Yahweh Ben Yahweh was convicted of conspiracy to murder and sentenced to 18 years in prison. Rozier, after admitting to murdering six or seven men, and I say six or seven because different articles gave me different numbers, and some places even list his victim list as four to seven. In one article, it stated that he was ordered to kill six men by Yahweh Ben Yahweh, but killed the seventh because a panhandler was just bothering him by asking him for money, so he decided to murder him. Even with all that, he only served 10 of his 22-year sentence. Okay, I definitely think 10 is a little less, especially when you're adding people, like up to seven people, and the panhandler was really for no reason at all, so... uh. Yeah, he was just being aggressive. Yeah. That's... And I found a couple articles that said that, but then some others like completely ignored it. So I was like, that's kind of a big thing to well, I guess out. They, but they would never be able to charge him with those additional murders. He was only charged with four. Oh, yeah. He was only charged with four. I don't know why they didn't go back. Because obviously, I only talked about four of the seven if we got up to seven. Oh, Okay. So I'm not sure why that was a thing. If that was just the four they could tie to him and Yahweh Ben Yahweh. I'm not really sure of like the schematics of everything. But I was like, how did you even like first off 22 years was ridiculous for four or seven or even one murder. Like that's ridiculous. But to only serve 10 years of that, I was Yeah, I guess maybe I'm thinking the police were like, okay, we got him on four murders let the courts do their thing and then they came back with only 22 in which then it was even more reduced and i would think maybe they were like oh well if we get yahweh ben yahweh because he's obviously a terrible bigger apple but homeboy only got 18 years too so i was like i i don't understand i do not understand yeah but anyway rozier would eventually become robert ramsey after getting out of prison and enrolling in witness protection. Although he was given a new life and a new name with the FBI, old habits die hard. Ramsey, or Razier, would once again be arrested for writing a bad check. 
Since he was arrested in California, who holds the three-strike rule, Robert Razier, or Ramsey, would now be imprisoned for good. As some people feel justice had finally been served, Bryn, I want to hear what you have to say on this case. Well, first of all, I'm stuck on the fact that he got witness protection, but they only changed his last name. Like, that's not... <laughs> I know Robert's a common name, but, like, excuse me. Try I don't, a little harder. Well, and I don't know if they really change much if they change first and last name if they change first I, i'm not really that familiar i with mean it, i so feel I like know. if he's got this whole religious cult after him even if the leader is in prison they would try a little harder <laughs> well and it's r and r too yeah like Ramsey, he's like i want to keep my monogram towels <laughs> the same so <laughs> i'm just kidding but no yeah no that's definitely wild i can see still i'm still hinting a little bit of okay, I know he was heading down the wrong path in life early on in life, and that could have made him, you know, more susceptible to joining this cult. But I don't know, maybe because you'll never know for sure if Robert was just a terrible person or the terrible harm that he caused was heightened from Yahweh bin Yahweh. Well, and I think you answered my next question right on was, if he was born evil versus guided into that direction by Yahweh ben Yahweh. And I mean, I'm with you on that. I do believe Razier would have found his way back in prison regardless of the cult pushing him to become a serial killer just because his bad track was pretty bad. Um, like Grand Theft Auto and yeah. dabbling in hardcore drugs. I don't think he would have stayed off the streets, but I don't know if he would have really been pushed to become a serial killer or a murderer at all. Yeah, I don't think he would have cult. killed, you know, seven people, up to seven people. Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's really hard to question that because like none of his at least from what I could find beforehand, were very violent. But I think what pushed him was that new acceptance. Like he was always on some sort of team or environment where he felt accepted before. And a then group. Exactly. A group and then a huge chunk of his life, losing his football career, then kind of set him in a path of like, I don't know what to do or who I identify as, which I mean, like even us quitting as gymnast or me not being a collegiate athlete anymore, you go through that in every stage of your life. It's yeah. like you have to reinvent Sometimes yourself. multiple times. Exactly. Yeah. So I think kind of identifying with this cult and really being seduced and submerged in this environment really pushed him. But not saying he's a great egg. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think that's human nature, right? Like we all want to be a part of a group and feel loved and, you know, feel protected and everything. But when people use that, you know, against you or you're already lost in life, like you said, it obviously does not end well. Like we see with a lot of bigger gang activities, cults, you know, it can go wrong from so many angles. But to go back to your original question, I personally don't believe anybody's born evil. I know, you know, with some disorders, um, you know, I think maybe you could be born with, right, brains are so complex. Like you could be maybe born with narcissistic personality disorder, which for sure our boy Yahweh ben Yahweh, <laughs> <laughs> however you say that, definitely narcissist. But that yes. doesn't mean that you're necessarily 
going to end up as a cult leader or Mm -hmm. anything like that. I think there's just different pathways and, you know, your neurons may go one way when somebody else's go another. Mm Mm-hmm. I think how you're grown up with and the people you interact with and your experiences in life would definitely be a cause, I guess, if you want to blame cause. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. Is I, I would hate to ever think that anyone is born evil because yeah. then that's kind of just, that's sad. Yeah, <laughs> super depressing. So I, I definitely think it's hard with this one because, I mean, he did a lot of horrible crimes and, I mean, he's not a great dude by any means, but I, it's just... I wish there would have been some sort of rehabilitation instead of like, oh, get a plea deal, 10 years in, you're out, you go out on the streets. He recommits a stupid crime of yeah, bounce petty crime. check and now you're in jail for life, which I wish they would have kind of taken him in a different direction because I, I do think there was an opportunity for rehabilitation. Would it have worked? I don't know, but it's just unfortunate we'll never know yeah how that would have worked out but I, I i am with you i don't think anyone is truly born evil this was a lot of wrong places wrong times wrong opportunities given to him for sure um that really had a tragic outcome which is very sad but what we just talked about is highly highly debated in this case and we would love to hear your thoughts on that. So with that, that concludes today's episode. We would obviously love to hear your feedback on this episode and what you think about Robert Razier. Leave us a comment or review. If you have a case suggestion for us, reach out through our website at logostories.net. You can also check out all of our source material for this episode while you're there. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at logostories. We will be back with a new episode in a couple of weeks. So until then, stay safe out there. It's a weird world. Thank you to Alexander Nakarada for allowing us to use his sound, Nightmare, for our theme music.